wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes! 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 For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Stupid idiot. Shut your mouth, you thong-wearing fatty. Party's over, Grandpa. Kane was there! Kane was there too! Yeah! No enhancement needed. This ain't Monday Night Raw! This fight's right! It's Wrestle Rant Radio. Welcome back, folks, to Wrestle Rant Radio here today for July 13, 2017. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews. Hope you guys are doing well. As always, another stack show on tap for you guys here today, talking all things great balls of fire. Still sounds every bit as ridiculous as it did three months ago. Uh, Raw, SmackDown, we might get to some NXT, maybe 205 Live thoughts, a little underground thoughts. So plenty of discussion here on the show today as we move forward towards SummerSlam next month, which I am anxiously anticipating should be a great show on paper. Of course, guys, you can find me on the socials at WrestleRant on the Twitter. Find me on Facebook at facebook.com backslash graham.gsm.matthews and also on YouTube at youtube.com backslash c backslash graham.gsm.matthews. New episodes of WrestleRant Radio uploaded every single Thursday right here on nextarawrestling.net. Always looking for new guests, like I've said before, on the Twitter machine. I'm always looking for new people to come on the show and help me break down the week in wrestling, specifically the week in WWE, or really anything else that's going on in the world of wrestling right now. So uh, if you're interested, the best place to hit me up is on Twitter, but if not on Facebook, really anywhere else, I appreciate it. And uh, if you want to come here on the show, I appreciate really if you have any experience whatsoever in doing either radio or podcasting, doing videos and stuff like that, if you're well-spoken. God knows it. I'm not the most well-spoken person, so if you have any semblance of experience whatsoever, that's really the only thing that's required. And, of course, a passion for the product, that you watch the product, whether it be Raw, SmackDown, the pay-per-views. I was going to have someone come on this week. They were unavailable. Maybe next week. We'll see. But um, that being said, we will be back always with new episodes every single Thursday, whether it's me with someone else, me flying solo. Uh, Speaking of which, before I get into the heart of the matter of the wrestling talk here today, two things. One, speaking of what I was talking about a mere moments ago, uh, check out hashtag AskGSM this week from yesterday, uh, uh, Wednesday, November, or rather July 12th, excuse me, 2017. No idea why I said November. Uh, Jason returns to the show to help me answer your questions from all the socials, Facebook, Twitter, and the YouTube. It was a great episode, a lot of awesome feedback, I appreciate that. So, if you haven't already done so, it's about an hour, 20 minutes or so. I had a lot of fun recording it, so check it out at your leisure, uh, at your convenience. I would thoroughly appreciate it. And also, tomorrow, as I record this Friday, July 14th, right here in the Connecticut area, my good old CT, in Danbury, Connecticut, Northeast Wrestling, which has really been catching fire. I've been going into their shows for the past, wow, nine, eight years now, just about, uh, since I was an eighth grader 
which is a long ways away since I just graduated college, but their shows are always entertaining. You can meet the biggest stars in pro wrestling. I've met so many amazing people in going to these NEW shows, going to indie shows in general. It's crazy. Like every single WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor show, I can I can name at least four or five people on that specific show that I've met through NEW through other indie shows like uh, Chaotic Wrestling and you know uh, New England Championship Wrestling and promotions like that. Um, but what I'm trying to say is that tomorrow I will be at the NEW Future of Flight event. I think it's what it's called. Cody Rhodes will be there defending the Northeast Wrestling Championship against Ricochet. That should be a great match. I'm really looking forward to that. I met Cody Rhodes before. I'll be bringing my Intercontinental Championship belt so I can hopefully get a signature from him on that title that he brought back to the WWE, mind you, uh, a few years ago, about six years or so ago. Never met Ricochet, really want to meet him. Ryback will meet him, I'll be able to meet him hopefully, he will be there. Jack Swagger will be there, and a few others as well. So very much looking forward to that. Uh, Might be talking about that in a future random video blog for the YouTube channel. Now before we talk about Great Balls of Fire from last Sunday, a few news and notes here. Uh, most notably, Austin Aries asking for, reportedly, he was either released or quit or whatever. Austin Aries granted his release, nevertheless, from WWE last Friday. By this point, six days later, pretty much old news, which I figured it would be. Um, I know Dave Meltzer kind of added some speculation and details on it, whether they're true or not. Really, all a matter of your opinion, I guess, or whether you want to believe it or not. Um, on last night's Wrestling Observer newsletter, newsletter, excuse me, radio, Wrestling Observer Radio, I believe it's called, uh, whatever his radio show is, he talked more about it last night, but I talked more about it in detail. I won't talk about it here today because, again, I figured it would be old news by this point. You could check out my full analysis and instant reaction to Austin Aries' WWE departure from last Friday right here on the website. Uh, just go to Audio Archive. It's under Miscellaneous. If you're checking out WrestleRant Radio right now, odds are it's right here on the site, so check that out when you can. And also, it's in full on the YouTube channel as well. Uh, really, nothing has changed since last Friday, since the news broke. Austin Aries hasn't said anything else on Twitter. Uh, the only real things of note that Dave Meltzer came out about, which we all kind of figured, was that he had heat backstage, which isn't all that surprising, because he had heat backstage in Ring of Honor, in TNA. He's kind of an outspoken person. He knows that he's a great wrestler, he has faith in his abilities, and he knew that he was not going to get beyond a certain level as part of the Cruiserweight division, as part of 205 Live. So he wasn't happy, he called it quits, uh, he kind of rubbed some people the wrong way. Again, kind of what I figured would happen. Uh, so obviously he was not too upset over his release, if his tweets were any indication. Where he goes from here, we still have no idea. Again, like I said, Austin Aries has not done any interviews in the last week. He has not commented on Twitter or anywhere else. So only time will tell in terms of where Austin Aries goes from here. Like I said in the instant reaction video from last week, if he goes back to TNA, GFW, whatever, I wouldn't hate it. Um, I mean, obviously he had a better run there than he did in WWE, although I enjoyed the NXT WWE run for what it was. Um, He did win multiple championships in TNA, a former World Tag Team X Division and World Champion, albeit not for a very long time. Uh, but for the four or five years he was there, he had a pretty damn good run. So I enjoyed his run there for what it was. If he goes back there, more power to him. Hopefully he can use be better. He can be used better this time around than he was towards the end of his last run there a few years ago. Uh, going back to Ring of Honor would be interesting. I've said it before, but 
I have heard that he had heat on his way out, which is why he was not welcomed back last time. Like, when he left TNA, I thought it was weird that he did not do a full-on stint in Ring of Honor. Like, Alberto Del Rio, Alberto El Patron, who I'll talk more about in a minute, had more dates with Ring of Honor than Austin Aries did when he left TNA a few years ago. Now, I think he did, like, one date almost exactly two years ago on July 17th. The only reason I remember that is because July 17th is the anniversary, obviously. We're quickly coming up on it of the uh, CM Punk John Cena match from Money in the Bank 2011. One of, one of, if not my favorite WWE match of all time. And that happened a few years ago. And then he never wrestled for Ring of Honor again. That wasn't even televised. I'm pretty sure that was like a house show or something. And then he just went... I think by that point he was scouting with NXT and he was doing that stuff. And then he joined NXT by the following January, February, whatever. So, um, yeah, that being said, I guess we'll have to wait and see in terms of where he goes from here, but no real new details around anything that we didn't really already kind of figure before since last Friday. So stay tuned to that story with more details coming out, hopefully in the near future. Uh, one story that has broken that again, I won't talk about too much on today's show. I talked about it at length and, uh, yesterday's hashtag Ask you some video. Now more details have come out very little, but some that I'll talk about here, but Basically, uh, it's been an ongoing story, an ongoing saga that really has not died down really at all. It's been the big news story of the week, by far, you know, not even close, by far being the biggest news story of the week in the entire world of wrestling. Alberto El Patron and Page involved in a domestic dispute at an Orlando airport last weekend, I think on Sunday or so, over the weekend. Um, a lot of different versions of this story, first from Page herself, from an eyewitness account, from the audio that came out from the eyewitness. Uh, then the eyewitness spoke with Heavy.com for a full-on interview, saying that they were arguing over who had the possession, who you know, who was in possession of Coke, which honestly didn't surprise me. They looked like they were coked up on something over the past six or seven or eight months and pictures and videos I've seen of them um, and all that dirty shit. After the whole, remember the, the stabbing incident that happened with Del Rio like late last year in Mexico City? or in San Antonio, I think he said it was, and that whole sketchy thing and the story changed like four or five times, that was probably had something to do with coke, I'm sure, some drug deal gone wrong, which is why we have no idea what happened there, just a lot of weird stuff, Del Rio and Paige have been the most controversial couple in wrestling for a long time, uh, and quite some time for the past year or so, since news broke that they were dating and WWE was trying to break them up, which in retrospect, might have been for the better, now considering all this bad shit is happening with them, and even a year ago we kind of saw it, after they were split up in the brand extension uh, via the draft, and they had broken up. And we now know this because they came out about it on Total Divas a few months ago. And then after that episode aired and they obviously got back together, um, Paige wasn't on the show ever again because she got suspended, and obviously I guess they couldn't film her at that point, or they didn't want to film her, and now she's gone from the next season. Uh, which I talked about a week or two ago, a few weeks back. But, um, so yeah, we, 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 we kind of knew from the get-go that there was something astray here, uh, something awry with these two, even a year ago. And now all these details are coming out. I won't do it, I won't talk about it, do a play-by-play of what's going on. But basically, like I said, I went on a major rant and El Patron, how big of a piece of shit he is for the way he's apparently been abusing Paige. Even Paige's brothers came out on Facebook in the last few days saying outright that he is abusing her and that she needs help and that they are worried about her. You can't get much closer to the, the, to the source than that, people. Not only a friend of Paige, but they're fucking... Her brothers. Her fucking brothers. 
are coming out and saying that she's being abused by this man. So obviously he's a piece of shit. Um, he deserves to be fired from TNA. I don't know why they picked him up. I mean, I guess I kind of know why. They wanted the big name. He's not really all that big of a name. The guy was damaged goods by the time he left WWE late last year. I had no desire to see him work for a major corporation ever again. His indie run over the past six or seven months has really been, has left a lot to be desired. Um, I thought his last run with the indies in like 2015 before he rejoined WWE was great. Him and Lucha was awesome. He was doing some dates with Ring of Honor. Um, the, the, the stuff that I saw him in with Northeast Wrestling was great. And then he joined back to, with WWE in late 2015, October of that year. And he just didn't feel special anymore. And he hasn't since. He has yet to recover. So then TNA GFW goes on to put their belt on him at Slammiversary, which I talk, I didn't talk about that actually here on the show because we had Sal on and we didn't talk about TNA. Not that it was, we really needed to. The show was good though. I will give GFW their props. That was a very, very good wrestling show um, two weeks ago on that Sunday. But to put the belt on Lashley, or rather on Del Rio, El Patron, whatever, in my opinion, was a mistake. And now it's evident why it was a mistake with all this coming out and uh, that the police were called, and Del Rio, and now even Paige has come out. Like, So the reason I want to talk about this very briefly here in the show, and it's been a few minutes already, so I apologize. I'm probably lying in saying that it's going to be brief, but Paige came forward on Twitter yesterday saying that her original spin on the story was wrong and that she lied, and now even this version sounds weird with her saying that Del Rio said some not-so-nice things to her. She freaked out, threw a drink on him. They got mad. They say things that, when they're mad, that aren't necessarily true, which is true, which is true. We all say things that we don't mean when we're mad, but to say the whole Coke thing, according to the eyewitness, which I don't know why they would lie about that, and the audio says it all. I need to get the fuck away from you was what Paige said in the audio itself. She never denied saying that. She said that he never touched her. Maybe in that instance, I believe that. But ever, I have a hard time believing that. They've talked about, the brothers even said she's been bruised and stuff like that. And it's not a good situation. So she basically defended him and said that Del Rio did not want to come out about it. Which is why she didn't give all the details initially. Which says it all right there. The fact that she said that Del Rio didn't want anything to get out about it. Says it all right there and what this is all about. She's obviously, Del Rio's got her in the palm of his hand which is fucking terrible. This is your classic abuse case. Not that I would know from experience, but um, it seems like everyone else agrees, and it's awful. Paige is only 24, going on 25 in a few months, and uh, Patron... No, I mean, the age thing was weird from the get-go. I mean, love is love, whatever. Um, a 15-year age difference is a little sketchy to me personally. Um, that was the first red flag, but obviously she has no idea what she's doing. He even said in the audio that he wants to get her fired from the company, that she, she that she should be gone, which makes complete sense, by the way, after all the drunken rants that he went on, you know, calling out the WWE and all this other shit. He probably knew that if he, especially when he's with her, because she, she was in those videos too, That not that she ever said anything, but she was obviously he was obviously trying to get her fired from the company with his comments about Triple H and all these other people. And uh, considering that he's with her, maybe he thought that would put heat on Paige and they would never bring her back and all the sex tape got out. Not that that was ever really linked or anything. Not that the company did that on purpose or she did that on purpose to get herself fired. Anyone who believes that's an idiot, I don't think that's the case for a second. Um, But the guy's obviously a train wreck. So the reason I bring this all up is, again, because Paige commented on the matter yesterday on Twitter 
with another explanation that made very little sense. And then even before that, earlier on Wednesday, Jeff Jarrett had a conference call with the pro wrestling media concerning the future of GFW, all this other shit. And obviously it got brought up. How could it not be brought up? How could it not be addressed? They would have looked worse on GFW for not addressing it than if they, uh, you know, if they, than if they did. They had to address the situation. And they were already looking bad when they had nothing to say about it. Or rather, you know, they would look into it, they would investigate the matter on Monday, yet they didn't suspend him. Which, again, doesn't surprise me, given the company I talked about in Hashtag on Wednesday, but when they didn't suspend, I mean, I guess they did suspend, but when they didn't fire Jeff Hardy for embarrassing the company, one of the worst, um, even angles, it was real life, and one of the worst scenarios in their entire company, probably the worst scenario, the the worst thing that that has ever happened to TNA, with Jeff Hardy and Victory Road 2011 and Sting and Jeff Hardy going out there all fucking coked out of his mind or drugged up or whatever, high as hell, um, looking like he didn't want to be anywhere else but there, or rather the other way around. But you know what I'm trying to say, though, um, that he just looked completely out of it in that moment, and they had to cut the match short in the main event of a fucking pay-per-view. It was embarrassing, to say the least. That's a massive understatement to call that an embarrassment. And when they didn't fire Jeff Hardy for that, despite how big of a name he is, you kind of figured they wouldn't do anything to El Patron. Um, so here's the here's the kicker, though. Which, again, it doesn't surprise me, but it doesn't make it any less wrong. It's fucking stupid. It's absolutely awful they're not taking more actions here against El Patron. Regardless of what my thoughts on him as a performer are in, in regards to, you know, I don't really care for El Patron anymore. I don't think he does anything for TNA. He doesn't do anything for me as a babyface, as a world champion. I couldn't care less. Putting all that aside, they had to suspend the guy, and they did. But here's the kicker, though. Jeff Jarrett later came forward, later came out in that conference call saying that they would not edit the footage that they already taped for the next few weeks, if not months, of TNA TV with El Patron as the world champion, saying, you know, it's not necessary, blah, 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 and so many words saying... You know what? It's too much work for us. We're not going to edit him out because it's going to kind of function. It's going to kind of fuck up our plans here with the world title. Dude, fuck you. That is terrible. That's awful. They would need to either edit him out. The guy should be fired for one thing. But the fact that, oh, you know, it's too much work for us, so we're not going to take him out of the tapings, it's fucking stupid. Fuck you, Jeff Jarrett. That is terrible business sense. That's awful. What kind of message is that sending? Because, again, they quote-unquote, suspended the guy, but I'm sure he'll be back, you know, between now and whenever their next set of tapings are, and it's gonna mean that nothing ever really happened. They didn't take the title off him. He's still the world champion. He's not wrestling anyway. They don't do live events, and they're not doing that until, you know, for another month or so, and if he's off the live events, whoopty shit. You know, he's still on TV. So who cares? I just thought that was so... Dumb. I mean, the Patron page thing takes the cake and being awful with Patron obviously abusing her and her covering his ass. That's bad enough. But for GFW, which for for as you know, for every step forward that they take, they take two steps backwards with the stuff that goes on behind the scenes and stuff like that. It's just it's not a very good environment to say the least, and it never really has been. I don't care if Dixie Carter's in charge. Anthem Wrestling, the whole Broken Hardy stuff is another story. It's just that place is toxic. And this is a prime example of that. To save their own ass, they didn't suspend the guy initially. They waited two days until after it even blew up even more. 
And now they won't edit out the footage of him as the world champion because it's too much work for us. We already taped the shows, whatever. We're going to let it stay. It defeats the purpose of the whole suspension. So again, hopefully they take more actions against El Rio, against El Patron going forward. I don't think they will. I think that's the end of it, which if it is, that's awful. Like I said before, I can only say that so many times, um, but it's not going to change the matter of the fact that he's still quote-unquote suspended, but he's still going to be on TV. And people give up. People wonder why have you know other fans have given up on GFW and giving them chance after chance. It's not the on-air product. Their on-air product is honestly better now than it has been in quite some time, and at least a few years. It's not the on-air product, despite the fact everyone's leaving for WWE mostly, or just leaving in general. But beyond that, it's the stuff that goes on behind the scenes that turn people off on GFW, TNA, Impact Wrestling. It doesn't matter what you call it. It's still going to have the same problems, apparently, which is a true shame. There was something else I wanted to talk about, too, before we moved into the Great Balls of Fire review. The Austin Aries thing. Oh, yeah, this real quickly, too. Uh, This is all from last Friday. I mean, not the Patron Page stuff, but Austin Aries getting released. Um, The AJ Styles thing, him winning the United States Championship at a house show at Madison Square Garden last Friday, I think is really cool. I'll talk more about that in the SmackDown review momentarily towards the end of the show. Um, I thought that was really cool to hear about and very rare something like that happens. So again, I'll talk more about that in the SmackDown review. But it also came out that day, a very weird day in wrestling, a very weird day from the Aries release to that and to now this. Dixie Carter, uh, now it's already aired, so. Um, but anyway, Dixie Carter involvement announced in the Kurt Angle WWE 24 special on the network for Monday, which I thought was great, by the way, but... That surprised the hell out of me too that they would even that they would even acknowledge TNA. I mean, it's not. And I talked about it in my review, which will be up on Monday, this coming Monday, on WWE Network and Chill on YouTube. Um, it's not unheard of that TNA is acknowledged on the WWE Network. It is kind of a taboo taboo topic, but um, they won't n- mention it obviously on their programming, never on Raw or SmackDown or even NXT, which is a bit weird, but it is what it is. And WWE. Uh, world, and their universe, TNA doesn't exist. You have W Impact Wrestling, it doesn't exist. The people do, the company does not, which doesn't make sense, but that's their logic. And their, you know, canon, WWE canon, I guess might be the best word, to steal a word from, um, you know, comic book, from, you know, a comic book term. In WWE canon, GFW does not exist. Nor should it, but they should acknowledge the fact that these people were former world champions in another company without saying, oh, they've traveled all over the world. Now, Austin Aries, Bobby Roode, EJ Styles, Samoa Joe, they're all former TNA World Heavyweight Champions. They're not, you know, champions. I mean, they were champions all around the world, but specifically in TNA. But anyway, it was brought up in the WWE 24 documentary, which is great. Um, They kind of had to. It was for Kurt Angle. That's where he spent literally 10 years of his career, more time in TNA than he ever did in WWE, which is crazy to think about, but it's true. So they had to bring up the, the, the fact that TNA exists and that Kurt Angle spent time in TNA for well over a decade and that he was there for so long. But I thought it was pretty cool they brought in Dixie Carter for that fact to interview her, get comments from her, and talk about the fact that she was there for him for, you know during his darkest times and stuff like that. So I'm glad that they brought her in. They even acknowledged her. They even referenced her as the president, the former president anyway, of TNA Wrestling. 
So I guess we'll see where they go from there, and I don't think they'll bring her back. I mean, there's already rumors that she might appear on Raw next Monday in Nashville, which is where she's from, obviously. I doubt that's the case. Um, I'm not the biggest Dixie Carter fan in the world, but it was cool that they brought her in, if only for that one documentary, which, like I said, I, I think was great. I thought it was awesome. Really well done. They got interviews from Dixie Carter, Vince McMahon, Samoa Joe, AJ Styles, Mickey James, his own wife, John Cena. Uh, the list goes on and on. Big Show, Triple H, Stephanie McMahon. So definitely check that out. One of the better 24 specials I've seen in quite some time. And they're all great. There really isn't one bad WWE 24 special, but that was one of the better ones I've seen in recent memory of all the ones they've put out in the last, I don't know, year or so. But that one specifically I thought was awesome. Um, you know, all the footage they showed of Angle in the WWE and his falling out with the company and leaving and coming back, which was especially emotional for Kurt Angle, was awesome. Again, I'll be talking about that this coming Monday on WWE Network and Chill on YouTube, so check out my full review of the special next week. That being said, WWE Great Balls of Fire from last Sunday, July 9th, 2017. Despite the ridiculous name, it was actually one of the better WWE shows all year, if not the best pay-per-view up to this point. Um, I'm biased in considering in, in the fact that I was in attendance for WrestleMania, which I thought was fantastic, and one of the better WrestleManias in the last decade. But WrestleMania aside, I thought it was one of the, definitely, obviously one of the better pay-per-views, but I would not argue with anyone who said it was the best pay-per-view of the year for WWE. I mean, WrestleMania was, what, seven hours? So I could see why people soured on that and obviously went over time by like an hour and a half. But um, every other show the company's done this year has not been great. I mean, I thought Payback was pretty good in April. I thought that was a great show. But that had House of Horrors on it and people weren't too thrilled with that. Uh, had a very polarizing response from fans. But I thought Great Balls of Fire, by and large, a lot of people liked it. And I thought the two top main events stole the show. So we'll talk about it right now on the kickoff show. Neville and Akira Tozawa battling it out for the Cruiserweight Championship in a really fun match. Uh, probably the best kickoff match since Aries and Neville at WrestleMania. Um, also involving Neville, obviously. But this was a very good match. None, you know, none too surprising. Despite what you might think about 205 Live and the Cruiserweight division, now it's a dead end for certain performers. Neville's been killing it. I'm really glad Akira Tozawa's getting the push um, to challenge, getting that push to challenge for the championship. I don't know if he's going to ultimately win it. I would give the nod to Cedric Alexander personally, but if Tozawa won it, I wouldn't be upset. This was a great match. Neville wins in the end by crotching Tozawa on the row, following that up with a red arrow, I believe, and uh, or maybe just pinning him. I think maybe just rolling him up. I forgot what the exact finish was, but regardless of what it was, Neville emerged victorious, still the Cruiserweight champion. On the main card, Bray Wyatt battling Seth Rollins. Um, and what turned out to be a very good match. I mean, I've said before, as many other people have as well, uh, the feud has done nothing for me personally. It's really been boring as all shit. I mean, these guys have done nothing of note whatsoever in the past month. The only real reason as to why Brett, or I almost said Bret Hart, uh, Bray Wyatt targeted Seth Rollins in the first place was because he was a part of the Fatal 5-Way match at Extreme Rules last month. Like, that's the only thing I can come up with. Um, like he says that he's a prophet, he's a false prophet, I don't know, some weird explanation that I, I still don't understand, but the match was good though, not that they have the greatest chemistry of all time, and that Rollins, you know, it was one of Rollins' best matches, but for a Bray Wyatt match, and the guy can go with the right worker, I mean, look no further than his matches with Daniel Bryan from a few years ago, and granted that was three years ago, 
But um, Bray Wyatt can go with the right wrestler. I mean, I thought the Hell in a Cell match with Roman Reigns a few years ago was great, and Seth Rollins apparently no exception. Uh, good match here. Bray Wyatt not winning clean, but as clean as it can without interference. So I thought that was great. No hocus pocus shit. He just literally poked him in the eye, hit him with the sister Abigail, and scored the victory. So a surprising win for Bray Wyatt. I had him going over just because I thought Rollins would get his win back anyway, which it appears he won't which is for the better, and I'll talk about why in my Raw review. But again, a good opening match, positioned perfectly in the opener, because I could have not have cared less about this match. Probably this was the match I cared least about than any other match in the card, including Miz and Ambrose, because there was nothing on the line here. Um, so I'm glad they got it out of the way early. Big Cass versus Enzo Amore. Enzo cut a promo before the match, talking about Big Cass, whatever. And another pretty good promo before being ultimately squashed by Big Cass here in like a five-minute squash. That's really what this was. And I saw some people upset that it should have been longer, he should have gotten more offense, and so should have won. Definitely don't agree with that last part. Um, but I do, I personally thought this was exactly what it needed to be. I mean, Big Cass and Enzo never had any, you know, blow-away amazing matches as a tag team. So why would you think that they would have a five-star classic one-on-one? -on -one? I'm sure no one really thought that was the case anyway. But, um, I mean, I'm not really sure what people thought we would get from this match. I mean, I think keeping this one-sided and keeping Big Cass dominant and just laying out Enzo time after time before winning the match, again, was perfect. Enzo should not have been like a house... I mean, he should have gotten a little more offense, maybe. But a house on fire, you know, getting some offense over Big Cass early on, I would have been okay with that. But at the end of the day, Enzo's, what, 5'10", five, 5'9", five, five, maybe? Probably even shorter than me. Big Cass is seven feet tall. There is no contest. It's not competitive at all. It's exactly, you know, it, it was exactly what it needed to be with Big Cass emerging victorious in dominant fashion and probably moving on. And I'll talk about that more in the Raw review in terms of what's next for Cass and, and Enzo. And apparently there was heat on the two with Enzo. There was some sort of incident overseas with Enzo not getting on the bus or some weird shit like that. And uh, maybe that's why he wasn't on Raw the next night. Cass, there's apparently heat on him from backstage because he's a Trump supporter, which I'm not sure why that has anything to do with anything. And has nothing to do with management and the fact that, because um, obviously the McMahons are very pro-Trump, so that's not going to affect his push any. Um, I'm not really sure why that's relevant. But in regards to the match itself, it was what needed. To, it was exactly what it needed to be. Cass won in the way that he should have. Enzo should not have won this match. And I'm glad he won fair and square. And now we can hopefully move on. Um, in the first really, really good match of the night, I thought, the Tag Team 30-Minute Iron Man match for the Raw Tag Team titles, Sheamus and Cesaro defending against the Hardy Boys. This was perfect. Um, I mean, a lot of the Iron Man matches the company has done in the past, I mean, they've only done two in the last few years. Bailey and Banks, I thought was great from TakeOver Respect back in 2015. And then Banks and Charlotte, I liked too. I thought that was a great match. Not their best match from Roadblock last year. Roadblock, end of the line, excuse me. Not Roadblock, the other show. Anyway, though, I thought this was laid out beautifully. I thought this was really, really well done. So the match kicked off, literally kicked off, with Sheamus hitting a bro kick on, I think it was Matt Hardy, scoring the first fall in the first 10 seconds or so, which I usually hate. I hate nothing more than when we have Iron Man matches or... Specifically, usually more often than not, like the two out of three falls matches, and then someone wins in the first like five minutes. Like that wouldn't happen in an ordinary match. So why would it happen now? Like I always found that to be so stupid. But I thought it was really well done here because again they caught him off guard, 
And then the Heels were up 1-0 right out of the gate. And the Hardy Boys had to catch up, and finally they were close. I think they did tie it. They did tie it, obviously, in the end, after 30 minutes. And it was kind of slow early on, basic tag team work, but they had 30 minutes. So they kind of had to, you know, stretch it out as much as possible. So in the end, the Hardy Boys even it up after a cool double-team maneuver. It might have been, I think Jeff Hardy might have done a splash, and then Matt did a leg drop, or maybe just a fist to Cesaro's face or Sheamus. I forgot exactly what the move was, but Matt Hardy got busted up badly, and this was really should have been the Bad Blood pay-per-view because there was a rumor back in, I think, maybe February or March after SmackDown taped the show in Connecticut, I remember, and they announced that the pay-per-view was coming to Connecticut, which it did not. This show was in, I think, Houston or Dallas, maybe. I forgot. Some city in Texas, obviously. They They all blend together after a while. But it was supposed to be the Bad Blood pay-per-view. And ultimately, it should have been. I mean, Matt Hardy bled here. I think Alexa Bliss bled earlier. One of the women bled in their match. Uh, There was blood in Strowman and Roman Reigns, I'm pretty sure. There was blood and I think maybe one other match on this show. There was a lot of blood on this pay-per-view. Ironically, not in the main event between Brock Lesnar and Samoa Joe. But elsewhere in the card, there was a lot of blood. So anyway, we get to the finish. It's 3-3. Three and three. Hardy Boys are doing everything they can to even it up, or rather, score the final fall and win the tag team titles, which I thought they would. My prediction coming into this match, and the only match I got wrong on this entire show, was the tag team title match. I honestly thought... I mean, we are getting Hardy Boys revival anyway, which I'll talk about again in my Raw review, um, but I did honestly think the Hardy Boys would win. They would regain the tag team titles and then go on to feed to the revival, going into SummerSlam, which I'm glad they still are, just it's not over the tag team championships. But uh, before they were about to win the match, Zaro came out of nowhere, rolled up, I think, one of the Hardy Boys. I forgot who it was. For a quick win, it was Jeff Hardy, I think it was. Got the 4-3 in the final literally 30 seconds, 30 to 20 seconds. Jeff Hardy attempted to chase him around the ring, hit the twist to feed on him with like two seconds left, but it wasn't enough. Uh, Cesaro and Sheamus retaining the Raw tag team titles, and again, a very, very good Iron Man match. I thought the layout was great. And that's not going to be balls to the wall for 30 minutes. I mean, they, they just can't. They're going to lose stamina after a while. So for 30 minutes, it had to be paced out in a way where they can kind of go slow early on before picking up the pace down the stretch. And that's exactly what they did. The final 10 minutes were fantastic. So I thought that was great. Um, and really enjoyed that match. Uh, definitely one of my favorite matches of the night along with the top two main events. Sasha Banks and Alexa Bliss also having a very good match for the Raw Women's Championship. And we really haven't seen too much of these women against each other. They had one Raw match, pretty throwaway, like a few months ago. It didn't last long, which I'm glad it ended in like a countout or whatever, um, as it should have, considering that um, you know they would go on to have this full-fledged program a few months down the road. But this was really great. I mean, Alexa Bliss is not the greatest in-ring performer yet. Her character, she's got down pat. She's obviously beautiful. She's got pretty much everything that she needs to be a player in the WWE except for in-ring ability. I mean, again, she can have good matches. She had some decent matches with Becky Lynch. I thought the first Bailey match at Payback was was honestly really good. The second match sucked. Um, the Kendo stick and a pole match at Extreme Rules. But the first match was really good. This might have been the best Bliss match yet, and Sasha Banks had a lot to do with that. So again, a really good match here. Didn't really mind the uh, count-out finish. I thought it was kind of lame. They could have done it in a better fashion other than Alexa just literally walking out or refusing to get back in the ring. But it was what needed to happen to keep the title picture alive and to keep Sasha Banks in pursuit of the championship. 
They made up for it afterwards by having Sasha Banks do the double knees to Bliss off the commentary table. That was pretty cool, so that kind of made up for the fact the finish was pretty lame. The Miz versus Dean Ambrose for the Intercontinental Championship for the upteenth time. Hopefully the last time. I know they're kind of still feuding on Raw, which again I'll talk about in my Raw review. A lot of stuff to talk about in the Raw review right after this. Um, a fine match, definitely not their best match. And the thing is, this feud desperately needs to end. But I will say this, I'm glad that, um, you know, I, I will say this. Despite how long the feud has lasted, and, you know, it needs to end ASAP, which it does, and I'm glad it kind of sort of has, at least one-on-one -on -one anyway, their matches usually are pretty good. They have good chemistry on the mic and in the ring. I thought the Extreme Rules match was really good. I was thoroughly entertained by the Extreme Rules match and all the matches they had on Raw and on SmackDown. They work really well together. Um, here, again, we've seen them work to, you know, against each other so much, I honestly really couldn't care less. Um, probably the worst match in the entire show from an in-ring standpoint, even beyond Big Cass and Enzo, because at least that was more of an angle than a match. As a match, this was fine, but we've seen it before a million times. Nothing new here. Interference from the... Miz Taraj from uh, Bo Dallas and Curtis Axel, as well as Maurice. In the end, the Miz retains the Intercontinental Championship, the result that it needed to be. Braun Strowman versus Roman Reigns in an ambulance match. This was great. Probably the best ambulance match, honestly, in WWE history. Not saying much. Uh, Cena and Kane, Cena and Ryback were all boring as all hell. Didn't really care too much, honestly, for the uh, Bray Wyatt versus Dean Ambrose ambulance match a few years ago in Raw. I think the first Raw of 2015 or second Raw of 2015. Honestly, didn't really care too much for that match. But um, this was really good. This was great. I mean, probably beating Kane and Shane McMahon from the Survivor Series 2003 show. or Yeah, it was Survivor Series, I think. That was a great match. As was this. Probably even better. Um, they worked really well together early on. And again, really, all their matches have been great. The Fastlane match, for as little as they cared about that show, I thought that was a very good match. And uh, they have great chemistry, obviously. So uh, Roman won that match. The Payback match, the no I think it was no disqualification. No, it wasn't no disqualification. It was a standard main event match. And Braun Strowman won clean that night. And that was a great match, too. Uh, this might have been the best of the bunch to date. And usually the gimmick matches can limit the, what the competitors can do and what they're capable of and stuff like that. Not in this instance. I thought it added to the match because we've already kind of seen them work standard singles matches. So throwing in a stipulation there, specifically the ambulance match, which this entire feud has been built around since WrestleMania, since right after WrestleMania, I thought it was perfect. And the finish was one of the best I have seen in a long-ass time, if not ever. So, it looks like Roman's about to win, and I'm really upset, like, oh man, I can't believe they're going to put Roman over Braun, and he's about to spear him into the ambulance, until Braun literally sidesteps out of the way, Roman Reigns spears himself right into the ambulance, and Braun shuts the doors, and he wins the match. It was amazing, one of the best and most hilarious finishers I have seen, finishes to a match I've seen in WWE in quite some time. That was spectacular. Uh, Roman Reigns, ever the sore Samoan loser, comes out of the ambulance, beats the crap out of Braun Strowman, throws him in the back of the ambulance, and then backs that ambulance up into the wall. Now, why they didn't just move the ambulance forward, I have no idea. Maybe there was something wrong with the car. It was broken. They don't have the keys. I have no idea. 
That was the question everyone was asking. I have no clear answer. But I thought this was really well done. Slater and Hawkins was completely pointless. But I will say this, though. I don't know why that match happened. Um, now, probably the first match, in the first time in WWE history where the finish wasn't even shown um, to the audience in, you know, watching on TV. They said that Slater won. JoJo announced Slater as the winner. But they never showed the finish, nor did they do a replay or even mention that he won the match on commentary. They were too preoccupied with the Braun Strowman angle, which, again, I thought was really well done. It felt real. Like, when Hawkins went out there, like, oh, shit, I got to wrestle right now, and Slater, too, acting like they were thrown out there at random. And Hawkins even tweeted as such on Twitter later that night, if not the next day. I thought it was great. Again, the match was not even really a match. No one cared. But, um... I thought what they did here was awesome. I thought it was really, really well done. So I don't know what happens to Braun now. He wasn't on Raw the next night. And I'll talk more about what's on tap for next week's Raw and where Braun could possibly fit into the SummerSlam plans in my Raw review. And then, of course, the main event, Brock Lesnar versus Samoa Joe for the Universal Championship. Another excellent match. And I never thought I would say that about a six-minute main event of a pay-per-view, but this was perfect. I mean, maybe not perfect. It could have been done a bit better. But I thought in terms of the way that it was laid out, the way that Samoa Joe came across here, he dominated 90% of the match. So anyone saying that Samoa Joe was buried here by Brock Lesnar obviously does not know what they're talking about. Would I have wanted to see Samoa Joe take at least one more F5 before going down to Brock? Absolutely. I mean, we see so many people kick out of finishers these days. Friggin' Undertaker kicked out of how many F5s a few years ago? Two? Three in their Hell in the Cell match. Roman Reigns literally kicked out of three F5s at WrestleMania 31. It doesn't diminish the move. It just... I don't know. I just thought it was dumb. I mean, I could see why Dean Ambrose or Randy Orton or... God knows who else. Uh, Kofi Kingston wouldn't kick out of the F5. But Samoa Joe should have, considering how hot he has been in the past month and how much he's been built up. And I understand going into this match, this was designed to be a one-off. And again, I'll talk more about that in my Raw review. It all goes back to that Raw review, momentarily, I, I promise. But um, Samoa Joe really should have put up more... I mean, I can't even say put up more of a fight, because he looked great here in this entire match. Even before the match, he attacked the... You know, he attacked Brock Lesnar before the bell, before the bell even sounded, putting him through the table at ringside. Brock has not sold this much for anybody, including Goldberg. Because the Goldberg matches, he would take one spear and a jackhammer, and that's it. He would lose pretty decisively and quickly, but he didn't sell all that much. Joe, he sold more for Joe here than he probably has for anyone else combined in the last three or four years. That's how much Brock Lesnar put over Joe here without actually having Joe go over Brock Lesnar. That's how strong Samoa Joe looked here, I thought. And we might as well just talk about it here. Uh, they talked about the next night, they had Brock Lesnar out there, Roman Reigns interrupted, Samoa Joe interrupted him, a three-way back and forth, which I thought was fantastic, easily the best thing in the entire show, um, they're all going at it, proclaiming who deserves the next shot, and Roman Reigns like, I deserve the next shot, despite the fact he fucking lost to Braun Strowman on Sunday, and Brock Lesnar with the line of the night, you think you deserve another shot at my title? You don't deserve shit. And obviously was bleeped out, but the audience popped huge, I popped huge. Brock Lesnar, they gotta let him talk more. I mean, his voice is not the more the most intimidating voice out there. But when you put a mic in the guy's hands, a live mic in, in Brock Lesnar's hands, he's money. He's awesome. Like, it goes back to that Slater promo from a year ago. They got kids, Heath. 
I got kids still, Heath. I got kids still. I don't give a shit about your kids. One of the best lines I had heard in the entire year of 2016 in WWE. They got to let Brock talk more. I love Paul Heyman, but the money is with Brock as a talker when it's short and sweet. When he's out there cutting 10-minute promos like he was five years ago before Heyman came back, that's when it turns into a train wreck. But when he's allowed to cut short and sweet promos that are right to the point, he's amazing, as he was on Monday. But the point I'm trying to make here is this. Next Monday, in a number one contenders match, the winner goes on to SummerSlam to contend for the Universal Championship against Brock Lesnar. It's Roman Reigns versus Samoa Joe. Now, they very easily can do this. Have Reigns beat Joe. As I fear he will, I think it's going to happen. What I want to happen is not what I have faith will happen. But they're probably going to have Roman go over Joe, especially since Joe brought up again here that Roman has yet to beat him. He's 0-2 against Samoa Joe. Reigns will beat Joe here and then beat Brock for the belt at SummerSlam. I think... Honestly, at this point, it would be a mistake to have Brock Lesnar leave Summer. I think Lesnar should have lost the title on Sunday. He didn't. Whatever. I didn't think he would. But at this point, with the way that Raw has been going, I'm not saying Brock Lesnar not being there is what's the, the biggest issue they're dealing with right now, but it doesn't help. And you can still have Brock be around and chase the championship, which might be even better going into WrestleMania, leading to Brock and Joe too. But that's what I would do. I'm sure that's not what the company has in mind. But I, I just feel like Joe's, he has to have another shot at the title. Whether it be one-on-one or a fatal four-way and having Braun come out. Because Braun won the ambulance match. I mean, he was taken out by Roman afterwards, but he won the match. And they're not turn, turning Roman Reigns heel. I talked about that on Wednesday and hashtag AskGSM. They're not going to turn the guy heel, so let's stop asking about that. Because they didn't. They didn't, you know, talk about his attack on Braun Strowman in a heelish way. They didn't, you know talk down upon Roman Reigns and being like, why would you do such a thing? That's not what a babyface would do. The commentators didn't really care. They apparently thought it was okay to apparently try to kill someone. And Roman's like, oh, that's what you did in the Attitude Era all the time. Well, dude, that was 20 years ago. You can get away with a lot more in the Attitude Era compared to what you can do today. And you were no Stone Cold Steve Austin. Trust me, you were not Stone Cold Steve Austin. So don't try to be. You're not The Rock either. You're Roman Reigns. And uh, no wonder no one likes you when you're attempting to kill our favorite superstars, despite our, despite the fact our favorite superstar is Braun Strowman and he's a heel. But anyway, what I'm trying to get out of here is this. They could have, they can go a couple different routes here. Worst case scenario is that Roman beats Joe clean on Monday, then phases Lesnar at SummerSlam. Not that I don't want to see Reigns and Lesnar too at this point though, I just think it's a mistake. Because Joe has been built up so well. I'm sure way better than the company ever intended to build him up to be in the past, you know, month and a half or so. How can he be left out of the title picture at SummerSlam? Or not be involved in a big match? What, is he going to face Braun Strowman? I mean, they're both heels. It doesn't make any sense. It's So I think Roman and Brock, again, at SummerSlam would be worst case scenario. What I would be content with would be Braun Strowman and Brock one-on-one. Now, that would be all right. And I guess, but they're doing Roman and Joe next week. So do 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 you do Roman and Joe again? I just think that would be a waste. And I think Roman would win that too anyway. So regardless, if it's one-on-one, Roman's going to beat Joe, I think. You could do Joe and Lesnar too, but it doesn't appear that Joe was protect. I mean, he was protected because he, you know, he dominated the majority of that match last Sunday. I just don't think 
I don't know, the way that they did the finish on Sunday's show with him losing via 1F5 meant that it was pretty much a one-off. But the way they did it on Monday with the way that Joe got over getting a bigger pop than either guy when he made his entrance on Raw this week, that he's got to be a part of the match. So if they don't do Joe and Lesnar 2, which at this point I would save until next year, until WrestleMania, which I think would be perfect, and then you have Joe go over Brock instead of Roman Reigns and Brock's final match, that would be perfect. If you do a Fatal 4-Way, which I think is best case scenario, you have Joe in there, you have Strowman in the mix, you have Roman Reigns, even though he doesn't deserve to be, but it is what it is. Roman has not won a pay-per-view match since he beat The Undertaker at WrestleMania, which is amazing to think about, but he lost the payback. He lost at Extreme Rules, and he lost again at Great Balls of Fire, which I'm not saying that he should have won any of those past three matches, but he's a loser. And, you know, from a storyline standpoint, the guy's a freaking loser. So he does not deserve a title shot, but that's apparently the new mantra for WWE these days, that if you lose a match, you automatically get a title shot. That's the way they book nowadays, both on Raw and SmackDown, respectively. Anyway, though, uh, I think a Fatal 4-Way is the best way to go. It's the best of every world, really. With Brock, I mean, he's he's going to have a better... I don't think he's ever been in the 4-Way match before in WWE since he's been back. I know we had one triple threat, or two triple threats. We had one with Roman, Ambrose, and Lesnar at Fastlane 2016. We had another one, which was probably the best main roster match in WWE that year, in 2015, between Lesnar, Cena, and Rollins. And technically the one at WrestleMania with Reigns and Rollins and Lesnar, um, if you really even want to count that, which really wasn't up until the final like minute or so. But anyway, I would do the Fatal 4-Way. I think it'd be a better match. I think it's more unpredictable. I would have Joe walk out as a new champion, and if you do that, you wouldn't have to have Brock be pinned or submitted. So I think Reigns right now, Reigns right now as champion is not compelling, nor is it even really even realistic. I think there's a lot more baby faces on the roster that Joe can defend against that makes sense compared to Roman Reigns as champion. So let's say you put the belt on Roman, whether it be in a fatal four-way at SummerSlam, which it probably should be, or the one-on-one match. I think they're holding off on the Reigns win. I mean, here's the thing, too. I'm not saying Joe and Lesnar at WrestleMania needs to be for the belt. You can have Joe and Lesnar be a one-on-one match and have Joe win finally. I think that'd be cool, put over Joe on the way out, on uh, Brock Lesnar's way out. But you could also do Reigns winning the belt between now and WrestleMania, beating Joe at a later date. And, um, you know, and then then you do Joe, or rather, I guess technically Joe, Joe Inouye, whatever his real name is. You could do Reigns and Cena for the Universal Championship at WrestleMania. I'd be fine with that. You know, Cena is the big, you know, free agent, which we still have yet to have cleared up in any form or fashion. He wasn't on Raw this week. Anyway, um, but what I'm trying to say here is this. If Reigns is being champion right now, who would he even defend against? Samoa Joe? Like, if he won the belt at SummerSlam? You know Joe's not going to win against Samo- uh, against Roman Reigns if Reigns wins the belt next month. It would be a waste. Reigns and Strowman again? We literally just saw it three or four times on pay-per-view. I know they have great matches and whatnot, but... We just saw it. I'm good for right now. You know, Roman Reigns and Bray Wyatt, another building him back up. He won two back-to-back matches against Seth Rollins at the pay-per-view and on Raw, which is cool. But I think that's leading to a Finn Balor-Bray Wyatt feud, which is probably for the better going into SummerSlam. It's a good use of both guys. So, But Roman and Bray Wyatt? No thanks. I mean, they had a good match on Raw a few months ago, but Reigns won clean. 
like a month or so ago, and Reigns won clean, so why would I want to see Bray Wyatt go for the gold when I know he's going to lose? Miz is the Intercontinental Champion, and that's about it. They might, they, I know they have big casts, but they're not going to put big casts in the title picture, I don't think, anytime soon, nor should they. They don't really have many options for uh, Roman Reigns' as champion. Again, with Samoa Joe, and I'm sorry I'm, I keep on going back to Joe as champion, but I think he needs to be champion coming out of SummerSlam in that Fatal 4-Way. I think it's the best route to go, to take. You could do Roman, you could do, again, you could do Roman and Joe, keep you know Roman Reigns in chase mode. You could still do that feud. I don't hate the feud, I just don't like the fact that Joe would have to lose a few pay-per-views in a row to Roman Reigns. That would be a mistake. But you could do Reigns and Joe. You could do, you can go back to Joe and Rollins. They kind of have some unfinished business. I know they kind of wrapped up the rivalry a few months ago in Raw. But you could do that, or about a month or so ago. You could do that feud over the championship. You could do... I'm trying to think of other baby faces that are on Raw. You could turn Braun Strowman and do Samoa Joe and Braun Strowman over the championship. There's a few choices. I mean, you could do Joe and Ambrose if you want. There's a... You know, there's a few realistic choices. Joe and Bra- John Cena, if they bring him over to Raw as the free agent, that would be amazing. Joe and John Cena, sign me up. So I think Joe, the end game needs to be Joe as champion. But bottom line here, the match at SummerSlam has got to be a fatal four-way. If it's not going to be Joe Lesnar too, which is fine, I think they should save that now at this point for a later date because they need to have another match. That match was great at the pay-per-view last Sunday. It would be a mistake. If Joe was, what other top tier match could he have at the pay per view? Him against John Cena? If that doesn't doesn't make any sense. I mean, I know John Cena is a free agent, but I would rather not rush that rivalry, and I would save that for when it's more meaningful down the road. So Joe, even if he's facing Braun Strowman at SummerSlam, which would be just dumb. I don't know why they would even do that. I think it's got to be Joe in you know the Fatal Four Way, but Joe walking out as. Universal Champion, it would be a massive mistake if they don't have him at least contend for the championship at the pay-per-view. Whether he wins or loses is debatable, but I personally think that he should leave SummerSlam as the Universal Champion. So, I went a lot longer with that than I thought I would. We're at 52 minutes now here with the show, so I don't want to go too much longer than an hour. So I'll do quick thoughts on Raw and SmackDown. But overall, great balls of fire, great balls of fire, two thumbs up. I thought it was a great show. Again, easily the best Raw show, not even close. Um, By far the best Raw exclusive event since the dawn of the brand extension about a year ago. Great show, top to bottom. Hopefully SummerSlam will be just as good, if not better. Monday Night Raw review from the following night, July 10th, 2017. Quick results and recap and two cents here. Big show confronting Big Cass. So I wrote the whole article about this today for Bleacher Report, whether we've seen the last of Big Cass versus Enzo Amore, whether we're moving into Cass and Big Show. Honestly, it's probably time to move on to Big Cass and Big Show into a feud. Um, I know there's all, like I said earlier, I mentioned earlier, the, the heat on Enzo Amore, the heat on Big Cass, the heat on Austin Aries. It's like WWE's a fucking damn kitchen with all the heat going on in WWE back uh, backstage nowadays. But in all seriousness... Big Show and Big Cast makes the most sense as the next feud for SummerSlam. Uh, I mean, I'm not the biggest Big Show fan in the world, as you guys probably know, but having him put over Big Cast, as I'm sure Big Ca- uh, Big Show is very, you know, open to doing after he put over Braun Strowman a few times earlier this year, makes the most sense. And they have history from before the feud started a few, you know, a few months ago or a few weeks ago, whatever. 
when Big Cass was blaming Big Show that he was the one who attacked Enzo Amore, and then Big Show walked out on Kurt Angle on Raw, uh, excuse me, on the uh, June 26th episode, or the not June 19th episode, excuse me, about a month or so ago. So it makes the most sense to do Show and Cass at SummerSlam. And Cass can gain a lot more from beating Big Show than he will from beating Enzo again in five minutes. He beat him in a lopsided squash at the Great Balls of Fire show in five minutes. He beat him decisively. What more is there to do with that feud? He was very dominant in that match, as he should have been, and I like Enzo, but there is not much more he can do in that feud that he hasn't already done. In the opening match on the show, Finn Balor and Elias Samson, good match. Balor wins clean. Hopefully that's the end of the feud uh, here, and now we can move into Finn Balor and Bray Wyatt going into SummerSlam, considering Bray Wyatt also won his match in the show against Seth Rollins. Uh, probably just as good, if not a bit better, than the Great Balls of Fire match between Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins on the main event of Raw this week. They work really well together. To an extent, I mean, again, they don't have great matches, but they work a lot better together in this context than I thought they would. So an entertaining main event on Raw this week, Bray Wyatt winning again in kind of the same way he won at the pay-per-view via a thumb to the eye. <laughs> it, just, it just blows my mind that Bray Wyatt is, is less of a loser now than he was a week ago. He's now won back-to-back big matches the last week. So good for Bray Wyatt. I don't know how long it's going to last, but good for Bray Wyatt. Also on this show, another highlight from Raw this week, we had the Hardy Boys teasing Going Broken, which I pop big for as well as many other people on the internet did him share as well. Um, I thought that was awesome. They said that Jeff Hardy was quoted in saying that the people backstage, other tag teams are saying that we're done, our nostalgia pop, our nostalgia pop is past, that we should just fade away and classify ourselves as obsolete, which got a big pop from the crowd, a big delete chant. And then uh, Matt Hardy said that uh, you know we're a little bruised, we're a little beat up, we're a little broken, uh, which also got a big pop from the crowd, so... I would be shocked. I know that there's still more, even more drama, if you can believe it or not. Uh, if you can believe it or not. In regards to Jarrett and Rebby Sky and the Hardy family, in regards to who owns the broken characters, I guess they were close to reaching a deal. And then Jarrett said in the recent, in that aforementioned conference call, they were not close to reaching a deal at all, even though they were apparently, they apparently were, according to PW Insider and Rebby Sky herself. So I'm not sure where that even stands right now, but WWE, whether they're going to call them broken or not, will they're going to have them become broken in some form or fashion at some point in the near future. And they're putting over tag teams like uh, Luke Gallows and Carl Anderson, as well as The Revival on the way out. I think that's awesome. Uh, the Revival returned to Raw here and attacking the Hardy Boys. That should be a really good tag team feud. Hopefully that's an addition to the SummerSlam card. Um, also on this show, on Miz TV, a pretty newsworthy episode of Raw this week. We had the Mizzies presented by Miz Maurice and the Miz Taraj. But more notably, Dean Ambrose coming out. I'm like, oh God, they're continuing Ambrose and Miz. But apparently not the case. Yeah, they are to an extent, but it's going to be Ambrose and Rollins against Miz and the Miz Taraj. So I don't think they would get the Shield back together for a feud with a friggin' Miz Taraj. I think, if anything, it's going to be a quick Raw match before they put them together for something bigger at the pay-per-view. And what I said on Twitter on Monday during Raw, I would give Ambrose and Rollins a tag team titles because, really, who else is there for Sheamus and Cesaro to feud with? They already beat the Hardy Boys. Big Cass and Enzo already broke up. The Golden Truth broke up. What, who, Heath Slater and Rhino? Who cares? 
So I think Ambrose and Rollins should eventually team up officially, take the tag titles from those two, and then do them against the uh, the club. But ba- I mean, I thought there was more to Balor and the Hardy Boys when they they had their little pairing a few weeks ago in Raw, which was great. But they also teased something here when they kind of crossed paths. They wouldn't do that for no reason, I don't think. So I think that was meant to plant the seeds for maybe a Balor heel turn after the Bray Wyatt thing runs its course. I would assume that's where they're going next with that. And uh, then we get the Shield versus the uh, the Balor Club, which I think would be awesome. So I'm completely on board for that. And uh, Ambrose Rollins Reigns versus Balor, Gallows, and Anderson would be money. So sign me up. That was really cool to see the former Shield members apparently coexist and plant the seeds for a future reunion, which would be would really be the best thing for everyone involved right now. Ambrose is stale. Rollins is ice cold in this feud with Bray Wyatt, which is apparently over, which would be for the best. And Roman is not being booked properly, really, at all. Um, in the whole, in terms of like character-wise, anyway, he should be losing the matches he has lost. But from a character standpoint, the guy just tried to kill someone. So why the hell should anyone try to cheer for Roman Reigns? <laughs> anyway, also on the show on Monday, Bailey and Sasha Banks in a rematch from Raw the previous week, beating Alexa Bliss and Nia Jax. Uh, Bailey pinned Bliss, so it does look like we're getting Bailey, Bliss, and Banks in the triple threat of the pay-per-view at SummerSlam next month, or they could do it on Raw, and uh, I guess they could do a rematch one-on-one between Bliss and Banks before SummerSlam, or at SummerSlam, but I would just do the triple threat, I think that'd be a great way to try to rehab Bailey by having her slowly work her way from underneath, and pinning the champ here, and now again, Bailey and Bliss worked well together, I, I think a lot of people soured on that feud because of the whole this is your life thing, and the terrible character development from Bailey. But the match, the first match was pretty good. The feud was pretty good early on. Um, so I would be all for a Bailey, Banks, and Bliss triple threat at SummerSlam for the championship. Goldust beating our truth. I'm glad Goldust won, but who cared? Roman Reigns and Joe and Lesnar already talked about that. Akira Tozawa and Cedric Alexander beating Neville and Noam Dar. Tozawa pinning Neville here. Uh, the first time Neville had been pinned since October. He's still unbeaten in one-on-one competition. Aries made him tap out a few months ago in a tag team match on Raw, but... Neville remains unbeaten in one-on-one competition for the past nine months, which is impressive. I recently saw on Twitter via at PWStream that Neville is now the second longest reigning Cruiserweight champion ever, including WCW apparently, which is cool. I think the only other person who have beaten that record to have uh, reigned as champion longer than Neville is obviously Gregory Helms, who held the belt for like a year and a month. So Neville's going to have to hold the championship until next February to break that record, which really isn't much of a stretch. I mean, Neville's been champion now for six months. And other than Cedric, who had a great match, Noam Dar, by the way, on Tuesday's 205 Live, a pretty good I Quit match, there really isn't anyone in sight. If Neville beat Austin Aries, of all people, three times in a row, other than Cedric, I'm not really sure, maybe Tozawa, I'm not really sure who can dethrone Neville as champion. So I would keep the belt on him forever. And maybe they do have him break the record uh, come next February. And then the main event I already talked about, Bray Wyatt and Seth Rollins leading to Miz attacking Rollins afterwards and Ambrose making the save, once again teasing a Shield reunion between those two. So good episode of Raw. We'll see where they go next week. And before we wrap it up here, we're just about out of time. I'm already passing the one-hour mark. But quick thoughts on SmackDown. Like I said, I thought um, AJ Styles beating... Kevin Owens at the house show was cool for the United States Championship last week. I thought that was really, really well done. And I think uh, 
I mean, if anyone, if you're going to change any championship on a house show, it might as well be one of the mid-card titles. We've seen the tag titles change hands a few times. The NXT championship changed hands at a house show, which I was at, which was one of the coolest things I've ever seen live when Samoa Joe, when Samoa Joe beat uh, Samoa Joe. Could you imagine Samoa Joe? Uh, Samoa Joe beat Finn Balor in Lowell, Mass last April to win the NXT championship. No, I thought this was cool. I saw Don Callis, I think his name is, the New Japan Pro Wrestling commentator. I know he does a podcast, Lance Stone for Podcast One, and it was on his podcast. He's good friends with Chris Jericho, and he's got great analysis. He's got great commentary, so that's not the problem. I saw him recently say, oh, they had him win the championship at Aosho in response to Kenny Omega. It's like, dude, if they wanted him to do that, they would have done it at a battleground. They wouldn't have done it at a house show. Like, that's fucking stupid. Don't, you know, don't overanalyze this. It's a pretty simple decision. They wanted to add boost. They wanted to boost their live event business. And where better to do it than at MSG? You know? And it's not like Owens is hurt. They're still doing the rematch at Battleground. So I thought it was a cool thing to do. Additionally, I think AJ Styles is the best guy to bring back the US Open Challenge that John Cena did. And I thought it was cool that Cena came out and challenged them. I'm glad the match didn't happen. That would be pretty dumb. Maybe down the road... But you just don't give away Cena and Styles for free on SmackDown without any advertisement, prior advertisement whatsoever. So I'm glad they didn't give it away at random and Owens interrupted. It led to a good tag team match in the main event with AJ and Cena beating Kevin Owens and Rusev. But yeah, I think AJ Styles is the perfect guy to bring back that US Open Challenge. Him against really anyone on the roster. I could see a scenario where uh, Sal brought this up last week where... Now that he's won it earlier than expected. Owens could very well win back the belt at Battleground, but I like AJ. I like Sal's idea of doing AJ and Jinder at SummerSlam. A lot like Cena and Rollins from a few years ago. But in this case, Jinder wants the U.S. Championship, so he challenges AJ Styles because he's anti-American, obviously. Anti-America. So then you do AJ and Jinder for both belts at SummerSlam. I would have AJ win. That's better than doing Cena and Mahal, in my opinion, but that's just me. But yeah, I think AJ could have a great match with really anyone on that roster. Him and Owens again. Him and Rusev is a fresh match. I don't know if we've seen AJ Rusev. I know we've seen AJ Sheamus. We saw AJ Del Rio um, against like members of like the League of Nations last year. We might have seen AJ Rusev. I don't think we did. That could be a cool US Open challenge at one point. We could see AJ and Randy Orton. AJ and Baron Corbin again. Nakamura, I would obviously say for WrestleMania. AJ Dillinger, AJ Luke Harper. There's a lot of things you could do there with those guys. So, uh, you know, AJ and really anyone on the roster. AJ and Chad Gable again. AJ and uh, Jason Jordan. There's a lot of great wrestlers on that roster. AJ and Mike Bennett. AJ and Sami Zayn. The the list goes on and on and on. Um, So I think AJ as the new United States champion is a cool thing. I think the fact he won it at a house show is even cooler. Hopefully they keep the belt on him in the long haul. And uh, do more U.S. Open challenges after the uh, after the feud of the Kevin Owens runs its course. And again, I think he's the absolute best choice to bring that U.S. Open challenge. Because if people don't remember, the U.S. Open challenge was the best part of Raw in 2015. Like, not even close. Uh, and people may hate on John Cena all they want, but he was having great matches every single week. With, you know, from people like Rusev and Kevin Owens and people like that, to guys like Neville and Sami Zayn, to guys like even Stardust and Wade Barrett to Dolph Ziggler and Seth Rollins and people like that. It was awesome. So again, um, it's pretty cool that AJ won the belt and I'm looking forward to seeing what matches he has as the United States champion on SmackDown and obviously the upcoming Battleground pay-per-view in the weeks and months ahead. 
And also on SmackDown, Jinder, the WWE Champion, beating Ty Dillinger. Pretty forgettable match. Xavier Woods beating Jey Uso to build momentum, heading into their tag team title rematch, I presume, at Battleground. Uh, Shinsuke Nakamura and Baron Corbin not happening. Went to a no contest, being saved for Battleground, as it should have been. Tamina and Natalia beating Charlotte Flair and Becky Lynch. Who cares? Um, they're doing another multi-woman match at Battleground this coming month. Why? Literally the fourth pay-per-view in a row of the six pay-per-views that SmackDown has been a part of this year. The Royal Rumble, Elimination Chamber, WrestleMania, Backlash, Money in the Bank, and now Battleground. Five of those matches have been multi-women matches. We had a six-woman tag team match at Battleground, at, uh, excuse me, the Royal Rumble. Chamber, we had three women's matches, all one-on-one, which was cool. But then going into WrestleMania, we had that multi-women match, the six-pack challenge. Backlash, a six-woman tag team match. Money in the Bank, obviously, the five-woman Money in the Bank ladder match. And another, I think it's, I think it's a fatal five-way elimination match at Battleground. But again, who cares? We've seen the same people that have the same matches. It's hard to care and buy into these characters if they're having the same matches every week without any real reason. And Naomi, again, is not defending her championship on a pay-per-view. She wasn't supposed to defend at Money in the Bank. She didn't even defend her championship at Backlash. It makes her look bad. Lana lost three times. Why she's even a part of the match, I have no idea. Just SmackDown Women's Division, SmackDown's Women's Division is just fucked right now. I just could not care less. So hopefully they rectify that after Battleground. But I said that after after Backlash, we can get back to having one-on-one matches. But still, not the case, unfortunately. And I already talked about the main event. So yeah, again, overall, good show on uh, good show, a good episode of SmackDown on Tuesday, good episode of Raw on Monday, and uh, NXT was also good on Wednesday. Now I know Bobby Fish debuted in NXT, which was pretty cool. Uh, spoiler alert: I know Kyle O'Reilly, his Red Dragon tag team partner, also debuted in NXT. The most recent set of tapings on Wednesday night. So I don't read the spoilers for NXT. Another tag title match has already been announced. It might be them insanity. I know Authors of Pain beat Heavy Machinery in an alright match in the main event of this week's show. Johnny Gargano returned and cut a good promo. So other than that, it was kind of a standard show. But it was good overall. But um, it looks like we might be getting Authors of Pain Insanity as a 2-on-2 match, as like a regular tag team match. I could not care less. But if they throw Heavy Machinery in there, and hopefully Red Dragon... Eh, eh. I know uh, Kyle O'Reilly won't debut until like the early August episode, like whatever the first week of August, I think, whatever that episode is, uh, whatever date that might be. Uh, so they don't have too much time between then and TakeOver Brooklyn to do to set up Red Dragon versus Authors of Pain, but I think it'd be the best match to do. If there's any tag team in there in that division that could take the titles off of Authors of Pain, in my opinion, it would be Red Dragon. Um, I care a lot more about them as a tag team than I do on their own. So hopefully that's where they're headed with those guys in NXT going forward. And that's it, guys. I've gone a little bit longer than an hour, but we also went more than an hour last week with Sal, which was fun. I had a great time talking to him and uh, analyzing all things, you know, the world of WWE. So check out that episode. Like I said, check out the hashtag AskGSM episode from this past week on YouTube. I had a great time talking with Jason, about all things Great Balls of Fire and Raw and whatnot, and analyzing the future plans for SummerSlam and WrestleMania, and all that other good stuff. I also went on a major rant on why Roman Reigns will not turn heel, and why El Patron's a piece of shit. So check that out at your leisure on the YouTube channel. 
Subscribe there while you're at it at youtube.com backslash C backslash Graham GS and Matthews. Find me on Twitter at twitter.com backslash WrestleRant. Uh, follow me there, obviously. Find me on Facebook, like the page at facebook.com backslash Graham.gsm.matthews. And of course, new episodes of WrestleRant Radio uploaded every single Thursday right here on nextarwrestling.net. So I may or may not be joined by a guest next week. We'll have to wait and see, but it will be business as usual. But not really. Like this week, we're reviewing Great Balls of Fire. Next week, we're previewing another pay-per-view. It's like every other week, we're either previewing a show or reviewing a show. And next week is no exception. Uh, next week, we are going to preview and do final predictions for Battleground that Sunday, presented by SmackDown Live, of course. And of course, talking all the latest news and notes and reviews and recaps in the world of WWE and beyond. So with all that being said, guys, enjoy the rest of your week. Enjoy July 17th, my favorite day of the year, obviously, given that it will be the six-year anniversary of John Cena versus CM Punk uh, from Money in the Bank 2011. One of, my, uh, one of, like I said earlier, one of, if not my favorite, match of all time in WWE. Can't wait to rewatch that on Monday. But in the meantime and in between time, guys, have an awesome one. I'm Graham G.S. Matthews, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Do a step, do a step, do a step, do a step,